say good morning, greetings in Christ's name. I paid attention a little bit this morning when Lowell mentioned the air-conditioned church. I, I know a goodly number of you remember before that was the case. So we had the fans blowing and the windows were open and the traffic noise. It's, it's really a blessing to have it as it is. I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 20 for a message. Trust that the Lord... We'll speak to us here as we look at his word together in the next 40 minutes. The title that I have assigned to this message is Devoted to Jesus. And it's a message about Mary Magdalene, a woman that is mentioned in Scripture. John chapter 20, we're going to be looking at the first 18 verses. Your name is special to you. You've heard it a lot down over the years. You've grown accustomed to it. It seems to have become attached to you. It may be a very pretty name or a handsome name, or it may just be a solid moniker that you go by. It could be trendy, a kind of a trendy name, or it may be a very plain and solid name like like mine. Your name can be said in many different ways. I don't know how your name is used, loudly or softly spoken, harshly or lovingly. can be used in derision or respect. Your name is used by a lot of different people. Your parents were the first to use it. Um, And they're responsible for it. Your spouse, maybe, if you're married, speaks your name. Your children may not use your name. They may call you dad or mom. Your boss uses your name. And a lot of times when we're introduced to someone, they'll say your name. If they're having trouble remembering it, they'll say it probably three times and try to get it to stick in their minds. God knows your name. And it means something different when he uses it. I don't know if you've thought about God using your name. But he knows your name and he uses it. It's indicative of care and interest on his part. And it gives us an identity before God. God knows everybody's name, but uh, his children... Their names are special to him. And it comes about because of a relationship that we have with God and his son. Comes with special ties that we have as part being part of his family. It comes as part of a mutual devotion that we have to each other. God is devoted to us. And we are devoted to God. It comes through our experience. That we have with God. Our text today, we want to look at a a woman who was thoroughly devoted to Jesus. Her name was Mary Magdalene, or Mary from Magdala, or Magdala, however you pronounce that. When Jesus spoke her name, everything changed for her. Despair and grieving changed to hope and brightness. When 
he spoke to her after his resurrection. Many legends have been written about Mary Magdalene, and most of them are, are fiction. There's nothing to them. A lot of people feel that she was the sinner woman that anointed the feet of Jesus. But we don't know that. It's, it's actually unlikely that it was her. And there are many other fantastic stories about Mary Magdalene. But I want to look at what we know from Scripture this morning about this, this uh, woman and her relationship with Jesus. The first sub- substantial mention of Mary is... Magdalene is in in Luke, and you don't need to turn to that. But it says something like this. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. It seems that Mary Magdalene had been healed from demon possession. Uh, The scripture here tells us that she had had seven demons cast out from her. She was a very... uh, Uh, a needy woman. We don't know what kind of life she lived prior to this and what caused this demon possession. We know that she had an encounter with Jesus and that Jesus healed her of her demon possession. We know that her life was dramatically changed after this and that she traveled around with Jesus and supported him out of her own means. She may have had quite some some money. We don't know that for sure. But she was devoted to Christ. She, she went around with him and along with the disciples and the group of people that followed Jesus. And that she was at the foot of the cross when he was crucified, probably grieving, probably suffering along with Jesus. And we know that she was part of a group of women who went early Sunday morning to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus after having rested on the Sabbath day. Let's read our text, uh, John chapter 20. And we'll stand together, if we could, to read from God's word this morning. John chapter 20. I'm I'm reading from the uh, New International Version. You, hopefully, you can follow in other versions as well. John chapter 20, beginning in verse one. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter. And the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. 
as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father, to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. You may be seated. What does it mean to be devoted to Jesus? I want to use this morning as a message the example of Mary Magdalene who is a great example of one who is deeply devoted to the Master. And from Mary, we can learn what devotion is to Jesus and how it relates to our lives. I have four points that I'd like to share from the example of Mary Magdalene. The first is thankfulness for healing. Thankfulness for healing. I think Mary Magdalene shows us a, how a genuinely grateful life is lived. You know, she had experienced the depth of misery. She had experienced the terrible oppression of the powers of darkness. She had walked in the depths. She knew what it was like to have no peace. She knew what it was like to be desperate for help. She knew what it was like to be in bondage and totally out of control. She knew despair, probably as much as anybody. Mary Magdalene had experienced deliverance. Somehow she got to meet Jesus, and I, I wish I could know a little bit more how that, how that came about. And it would be nice to know this story, but the scripture doesn't tell us how this happened. But in some way, she learned about Jesus and she got to meet Jesus. And Jesus had compassion on her. And she was gloriously healed of her oppression, of her possession. She was gloriously delivered. The oppression was gone. The terrible fear was gone. The terrible experience was over. And Jesus had delivered her from a life of ruin and emptiness. And for Mary, there was no doubt about who had delivered her. There was no doubt. 
It was Jesus. It was all Jesus. And I think Mary's thankfulness for her deliverance was expressed in her devotion to Jesus. She was utterly devoted to him. She followed Jesus and his disciples as he went from town to town, long dusty roads, long hot days of walking, preparing food perhaps. We don't know what all she did. She ministered, the Bible says, to him and to them. She may have prepared meals, we don't know. But she was willing to suffer hardship and travel weariness to take care of the one for whom she owed her very life and her freedom and happiness. My question is for myself and to you as a challenge this morning is how does gratefulness figure into your life? I know you've heard it shared many times. We need to be grateful. We need to be thankful. But how does it impact your living? Do you reflect often on what you were delivered from? Do you have any idea what it would be like to still be living in sin and darkness and hopeful, hopelessness? Do you remember the burden of sin that you felt? Do, re, do you remember the guilt that you experienced? Do you remember the emptiness? And do you remember the day when you experience the peace that only Jesus can give. I do. Forty years ago, I still remember it. What is gratefulness doing for you? Is your life affected by gratefulness? Do you feel it? Can you go back? Can you contemplate? What does it do for you? You know, I'm so blessed. Can I not bless God? Can my heart not rise up within me and bless his name? Does not my life show how grateful I am? Thank you, Jesus. I think from Mary Magdalene, we learn that devotion to Jesus is a life of gratefulness. A life that responds to that gratefulness in our heart. And I was contemplating singing a chorus, and I don't think I will, out of uh, <laughs> trepidation of how it would might maybe go. But uh, there's this song that came to my mind as I was preparing the message. Uh, it says, uh, for all that you've done, I will thank you. You've heard it. Probably Mercy Me is a, is a group that sings that. For all that you've done, I will thank you. For all that you're going to do. For all that you've promised and all that you are is all that has carried me through Jesus, I thank you. And I thank you. Thank you, Lord. And I thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving and setting me free. Thank you for giving your life just for me. How I thank you. Jesus, I thank you. I gratefully thank you. And I thank you. Devotion to the Savior. I think should be a big part of our experience as Christians. You know, looking back, and sometimes it becomes so fuzzy. We've been a Christian a long time, and, and we don't remember what we were delivered from. But uh, we should. And um, it should be a part of our experience, thankfulness.
The second point that I'd like to take from the life of Mary Magdalene here is, is her sincerity of life. Mary Magdalene exhibited an openness in her response to Jesus. She cried. She cried a lot. I don't know if you know anybody like that cries a lot. But she was very uh, open in her expression of her feelings. And uh, I'm sure she laughed also, probably quite easily. I don't know. But she cared more about Jesus than what others thought about her. And that was an admirable trait, I think, in her life. She was far from perfect. I, I think one of her personality traits, just from what I can gather reading, was that she was somewhat uh, quick to make assumptions. She was very quick in assuming things. She assumed that she could get into the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, because, but there was a huge stone there. I don't know how she was planning to get that away. She assumed right away that someone had taken the body of Jesus. She assumed that Jesus was the gardener. She was quick to make judgment calls, it seemed like. Some of us are different from that. We're more reserved. We're more methodical. We want to know how things are going to be before we do things. I want to know how I'm going to land, not only how high I need to jump before I think about jumping. But I think we can learn from Mary's openness and sincerity of life. It's not wrong to cry when we're grieving. It's not wrong to laugh out loud. It's not wrong to assume we can do great things for God even when we doubt that we can, humanly speaking. Mary had a sincerity of life that I think we could do well to look at and, and uh, maybe more openly display in our lives what uh, God is doing there. There's a scripture that I want to read a couple of verses from in first in Second Corinthians chapter three. It says, "Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you?" You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul said to the Corinthians that they were an open letter read by everybody. And I think sometimes we are too reserved in People don't, aren't able to see as much as they should in our lives. I think we, we need to be more forthright. I'm speaking to myself in our response to difficulty. Um, expressing uh, how we feel. God knows us anyway, and he knows that we're human and it doesn't hurt to others to identify also. What we can we learn from Mary Magdalene's devotion to Jesus? Thankfulness for healing, sincerity of life, thirdly, persistence in following Jesus. 
verses 10 and 11 says, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Her persistence in following Jesus, she wouldn't give up. She was a person who uh, persisted. One of the things I have learned in life, I, I haven't learned that many things, but I, one of them I have learned is, is that patience and persistence pay off. I've learned that. If you keep on going when it doesn't seem like anything is happening, if you keep working when nothing seems to be coming of it, if you keep a steady path in the direction that is right, even though it seems like the resistance would be less elsewhere, it will pay off. I will vouch for that. Mary was persistent. She was there when they crucified her Lord. She was there the first thing at the tomb on Sunday morning at daybreak. When Peter and John went home, she stayed. I don't know what she was expecting to happen, but she stayed there. She just couldn't leave. She didn't know how to give up. She couldn't give up. She was crying and probably felt terrible, but she, she hung in there. Her love for Jesus was just a driving force for her. And she couldn't go back to the sidelines. And she was rewarded for her persistence. She was the first to see the risen Lord. She was the first to tell the amazing story of his resurrection. A uh, supporting scripture that I want to share is a few verses from Hebrews 10. It says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. That passage seems to be saying to me is that we need to press on in the tough times. You know, when we don't see results, when we're, our prayers are not being answered. I, uh, I've been there. I think you have as well, a Christian experience where it seems like your prayer is not not being answered. And uh, the temptation is to, to give up. And uh, I, I think uh, the scriptural admonition here is not to, not to give up, but to press on. I want to quote a scripture from uh, Matthew 7, a very familiar scripture from the New Living Translation. I don't use that translation much, but in this case, I think the rendering is accurate. A very familiar scripture, Matthew 7, verse 7 says, Keep on asking, and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, 
and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and the door is opened to everyone who knocks. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? If they, or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? If your life, and I don't know where each one of your experiences are right now, um, has taken on a downward turn or a tough, tough road, my encouragement to you is to press on. Don't, don't turn around. Dig in. Don't stop. Don't go home. Don't throw in the towel. I read about a uh, football player. His name was Emmett Smith. Some of you older uh, people may remember the name. He played for the Dallas Cowboys. He had the NFL rushing record, the amount of yards of, of rushing. He wasn't as flashy as some other players, and he never possessed great speed. But his strength was in his ability to persist. He just kept on running. He ran for 16,743 yards. That's nine and a half miles, according to my calculations. Emmett Smith ran nine and a half miles. What's the big deal with nine and a half miles, you might ask? I've run more than nine and a half miles in the last couple of days. Well, the big deal was that if you run nine and a half miles, you don't have 11 huge 300-pound people trying to knock you down every few steps. His average was 4.3 yards. So that means he was knocked down almost 4,000 times. And you know what he did after every tackle? He got back up, and the next player, and if he plays down the road, he would run again and get knocked down again. Paid handsomely for it, too. But in our Christian experience, we must persist. That's, what, that's, where, that's where it is. And Mary Magdalene had that trait. She just, just didn't know how to give up. Finally, I'd like to look at her enthusiasm as an example. Her enthusiasm. Jesus said to her, I'm reading from the text here, verse 16. Mary, he spoke her name. She turned toward him. And cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. Obviously a, a term that she had used for, for Jesus, teacher. And then we have to read behind between the lines just a little bit. Because the next line says, Jesus speaking to her, he says, don't hold on to me. Because you know what Mary did? She ran over there and grabbed him. She ran over there and grabbed Jesus for all that she was worth. She clung to him. Because his next words were, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. I'm going to have to leave 
You're not going to be able to hold on to me. Then she, he told her to go tell the disciples that, that he was risen and she ran. And said, I have seen the Lord. And I can just, just hear her saying it. She was very, very enthusiastic, I believe. Go tell. And she went and told the good news. I can hear, see her coming breathlessly into the house where the disciples were. Her message was simple but profound. She said, I have seen the Lord. He's alive and I have seen him. He's alive. He is. He is. There's nothing like enthusiasm to, to win people over. Her experience was so real that she was going to share it with others. Much like another person earlier in the ministry of Jesus who was also delivered from demon possession, was healed. A whole legion of devils was cast out of him. He lived among the tombs. The Bible says he cut himself. He was a wild man. They couldn't tie him up. He'd just tear everything up. And Jesus healed this man. As Jesus was leaving, the, the man that who had been possessed wanted to go with him, but Jesus said, go tell. Don't come along with me. Go tell the message to others. Mark 5, verse 18 says, Jesus was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. How enthusiastic am I? How enthusiastic are you about telling what, is, what the Lord has done for you? How involved are you with sharing the good news of what God has done for you? That's a challenge uh, I want to throw out there. I want to read for you a little analogy that uh, certainly not original with me. It's about a swim swim club. I don't know if you've heard this before or not. There was once a swim club in a certain town. It was very popular because everyone in town wanted to be a good swimmer. The founders of the club had worked very hard to raise the money and to do the work of building a beautiful swimming pool inside a very stylish building. They developed programs for every age group to promote the sport of swimming. Club members volunteered hundreds of hours teaching the principles of swimming in classrooms, getting into the water and showing how to swim, and meeting with other clubs where people love to swim. The doors were open to anyone and everyone who wanted to have an opportunity to get wet. Children from the neighborhood felt welcome and loved to stop by after school or go for a dip on a summer day. There was always someone there to teach them, and a lifeguard was present at all times. It just felt great being a part of something that was so good for you and helped other people so much. Over the years, subsequent members donated their time, talent, and money to keep the club afloat so to speak. 
It was not too difficult because everyone believed in swimming and everyone wanted to be known as a swimmer. And because of that, people sacrificed and did whatever it took to keep the swim club going. Over the years, thousands of children had learned to swim and an even greater number of adults maintained their swimming skills by being a part of the swim club. No one could imagine the community without it. But as time passed, the initial enthusiasm of the founders was lost on the most recent members who took the swim club for granted. Everyone already knows how to swim, they said to each other. The pool and the building began to show some wear and many of the programs were no longer available. Somebody should do something about that, people could be heard saying as they were on their way to the golf course. People stopped swimming as, as much as they once did because they were so busy with other activities that, they were now, that were now available. People stopped giving and working to keep the swim club up. The club also struggled to find people who would give lessons, be lifeguards or start new classes and many other jobs that needed to be done. Other people are much better at swimming than I am, someone said. Ask them to give lessons. It didn't matter that children were not learning what they needed to know. So a new, few people ended up trying to do everything. Same people who were lifeguards tried to teach swimming lessons, recruit new people for classes, clean the facility, and even bring refreshments for the events. They did all this while everyone else sat back and watched them do it. Repeated pleas for help to the members were of no avail because most of the members now thought that the club was there to serve them and have their needs met instead of meeting the needs of others. If the director of the swim club, whom they saw as their employee, did not occasionally call on them or notice them when they were having a problem, they became upset. Subsequently, they had lost the vision of reaching new people and teaching them to swim. Somehow it didn't seem important anymore. Truth be told, they didn't really want new people coming to their club. Someone said people who don't already know how to swim shouldn't be allowed in here. Eventually, even the faithful few burned out and it looked as though the swim club might have to close its doors. Someone suggested removing people from membership who no longer came to swim and were not willing to donate or work to help keep the club going. But oh, such a howl went up. People were indignant that anyone would insinuate that they were not good members because, because they were busy and could not help with what needed to be done. We've been members for years and our parents and grandparents belonged here, they wailed. Being known as a swimmer and a member of the swim club was very, very important to them. Everyone still wanted to be known as a member of the swim club and they also wanted to be considered a good swimmer even if they no longer went for a swim. I think that should speak to us as church members about enthusiasm for what God has done for us and of sacrificing for him. Do you remember what a great thing God has done for you? Do you remember the burden of sin? Do you remember the guilt? Do you remember how lost you were without Christ? Do you remember how he forgave your sin? Do you remember the peace that descended on your soul? Do you remember the change? Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Just like the demonic we just heard about, just like Mary Magdalene. 
Just like everyone who has ever been saved and healed from a life of sin and regret, Jesus' message to us is the same. Go and tell what great things God has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Tell the world. Are you devoted to Jesus? Am I devoted to Jesus? Do you love him? Do you love him like Mary Magdalene did? Do you feel a deep and abiding gratitude in your heart for your salvation? He wants us to let that show. Show the world around you a sincerity in your life. You have nothing to hide. You have nothing to prove. Let them see you and what Jesus is doing for you. Like Mary Magdalene, be persistent in your walk of faith. Never quit walking in the path that God has opened for you. Never turn aside. And show your enthusiasm for the Lord, what he has done for you. The example of Mary Magdalene, I hope that you'll remember that over the next coming days. Think of Mary Magdalene, maybe in a little different light than you may have in the past. A woman who experienced great deliverance, just like we have but maybe showed it a little better than we do at times. God bless you.